we're back with another episode of our CS Blueprint on Wednesdays. This is becoming uh, too much of a standard that one of us is always missing, or one of us, I, mainly Jay or I, is missing. Uh, so we're going to have to get back on that bandwagon and uh, and see what we can do. So, Christy, good to see you as always. How's your week going so far? So far, so good. Awesome. Well, I figured since you've been uh, pumping out such good content and uh, people have been eating it up that we should dive into a piece that you did recently uh, around churn, which I think is a topic that is talked about a lot in the customer success world. Um, I think there's a couple of areas that people always like look at for churn, which is, you know, what are the right categories? So how are we, how are we actually kind of looking back at a retrospective to say, these are the reasons that people are leaving um, you know, I think the second thing is always looking then like, okay, are there ways for us to avoid those? How do we get more proactive? And then I think the third is then what do you do with that? Right? Like how do you internalize, uh, or internally organize around some of those churn reasons to actually go drive impact and change. So, um, I know with your pieces, you've actually hit the first two of those. So I figure we can kind of dive into, um, kind of the churn reasons that you mentioned, um, how to start categorizing some of those things, how you think about kind of avoidable versus unavoidable. And then the last part, maybe we can focus on is just what are the right ways to structure internally? So, um, you know, your 10 common churn reasons, uh, you came up with, I'm assuming that just came from, you know, previous experiences, you've kind of nailed down this list. So how did you get to this point and what are maybe what's one of the the first ways that when you're, when you're inside your company, like, how are you, um, you know, bringing this up or like, how are you making sure your teams are rallied around making sure that we can look at it in this way? Yeah. So it's definitely a combination of um, knowledge gained across all of the organizations I've been a part of. Some of these are more prominent risk factors and churn reasons for some companies I've worked for than others. Um, So for example, like need is not something that we run into a ton in my current organization, but it was something that I experienced in in others. So I know it to be true as some, as a reason that can, can, can be the catalyst there. So these were the 10, you know, that I came up with that I see the most often, right? They're not by any means the only 10 out there. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would add to this list, but I think even thematically, they do a great job of bucketing things, right? Like lack of value. Everyone, talks about like, oh, okay, well, like, what about onboarding? And what about this? Like, to me, that falls under that bucket. State of business also was like encompassing for me as we navigated COVID, right? The state of the business, if they weren't doing well during these economic times, then I classified it as state of the business. So I didn't need to, what I found with this list of 10, I never needed to add to it. I just needed to add another kind of subcategory as we educated the team on how to classify these properly. Yeah. And that's the, I think that's the way we've looked at it as well. Um, I don't know if like primary and secondary is the right way to word that, but we also we kind of have like a major category and a minor category. And that also, so again, to your point, those categories really just help us make sure that we can report it out in the right way and that we can organize teams around it. Um, and so I think the, the big thing for me that I noticed about yours, which, um, Maybe I haven't seen it worded this way, but I, I now like I've appreciated the way you've worded some of these things. One is access to leadership. Like, I think that is a, a different way to start looking at maybe relationship and, and how we're navigating relationships internally at an organization. Um, Cause I think sometimes people just put relationship and it's like, well, what does that really mean? Like how are we, mm-hmm. and so you've kind of broken that down into multiple, which is like access to leadership, no ownership. Um, I think kind of fall into that category for me. And then the other one that, um, I appreciated too was the state of business. I think sometimes people, um, you know, when you go through 
and if so, if your customer goes through an acquisition or they're yep. thinking about um, you know their, the state of their business, maybe they go under, right? Like they don't have funds. Uh, like I think there's kind of multiple ways that you can look at state of the business. But I, again, I think sometimes you know, for instance, especially with COVID and what's happening last year, right? Um, like how do you make sure you can capture that? But at the same time, um, knowing that there also could be like other factors at play there. Um, that's why I liked how you started breaking down into kind of avoidable and unavoidable in your second graphic and started thinking about like, are we actually looking at the things that we should be looking at impacting? Um, because some of these things you can't, you can't necessarily go impact on a day-to-day basis with the activities and with the ways that you're putting proactive measures in place and the right metrics and kind of predictive measures, you're not always going to be able to avoid churn. So um, that was the other thing that I started lo- as you looking down your list is um, you, my mind naturally starts gravitating towards, okay, looking at these 10 things, where do we start focusing our energy to make sure that we can go drive proactive engagement before these things happen? And then where is it like our energy is almost wasted, right? Like we can't really impact anything here. Um, so that's the the next graphic to me was really um, impactful too. So Jeff, let's do this. Um, while I'd like to assume that everyone in the customer success community has seen my beautiful visuals that I've put out um, on LinkedIn and Pinterest, but let's assume that they haven't. Ah, there we go. Beautiful. Um, I was going to say, let's just talk through the 10 reasons, right? And um, I think even like kind of like, let's you and I talk through some of the sub reasons that fall under that. So for price for us, I mean, like, listen, there's, there's a cost of goods sold. There is a market value for every product in the, in every industry. Um, Some competitors will commoditize that value and, and have a very low price point. Others will have a very high price point. So, but price is still something that we navigate, right? Unless you are the only person uh, or only solution in your market and in your category where you're controlling the price of that. Um, you know, if, if you're not a monopoly, there's probably going to be some price conversations at some point in the partnership. So price is a big one for us. Um, I don't think that there's any customer out there who pays list for any software that they have. Um, so I'm sure that there's some variability and some wiggle room there as well. Um, yeah. The second one product, this is a broad bucket. And so I would like to hear your take on this Jeff, but like for this product was everything from like product usability, product enhancements, features, um, our ability to hear the voice of the customer in like driving the things that their customers would expect to see in the product. So this was all encompassing. Um, and because it, it reliability, stability, um, right? Like I've worked for companies where they haven't had a stable product, right? So a lot of outage will prevent the customer from driving the value there. So product for us was always all encompassing. And then we do require in our CRM, and we'll talk about this, capturing the details around the churn reason. And it's in that field that we unpack what this actually means and how do we classify it and how do we address it? So those, those sub themes help us understand that a bit more, but would love to see or hear from you, Jeff, on how you view product as kind of being a one bucket holder. Yeah. So, um, so product is one of our kind of main categories, like you have it. And then a couple of things that I think about that fall underneath there would be, um, like you mentioned, like usability, like what's your experience in the admin, right? Like admin side of our, our, our platform, uh, that you're using on a regular basis, um, integrations, like our product is, um, very, has a ton of integrations that we can, uh, go do some are out of the box. Some might be, uh, more configurable. And so, you know, you're trying to figure out too, are integrations a major play? Um, I also under there too, is, is think about, cause our product is a little bit of a, B to B to C, like we have an end user at the end of the day. So, you know, are they talking about things that, that they just needed to get for their end users that weren't possible in the product as well? Um, and then I think about, 
this could fall under different categories, but I also put underneath product right now is just education and best practices. Like, are we, and that could be um, under lack of value, I think. Or, yeah, I put that under lack of value, right? So if we've not enabled yeah. the customer to use the technology independently and that they really understand the value drivers to get to their outcomes, I have that in lack of value because it's lack of perceived value. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that too. Um, and so those are a couple that I just think about um, when we think about products for for us in terms of like our, our main category. But um, but I like, I mean, to your, your point too, right? I think some of these things, you need to have main categories and you need to have subcategories because there has to be a way that we can um, report on this in the right way to the board, to our executive team versus also digging into the details for kind of the proactive nature of what we might need to go do with our CSM teams. And so making sure that you can do both, I think is just a big proponent of this and like making sure that as you think about your, your breakdowns, you can do that um, and making sure that they all kind of fit in a category and make sure also, I think that helps you know, this goes back to your point is communicating that with your teams, you know, does you, do your teams effectively understand what these churn reasons are and that they can, you know, designate it in the right way inside of the tool that we're using, whether it's Salesforce or Gainside or wherever. Um, so product makes a ton of sense. Awesome. I don't think anyone will contest competition again, unless you're a monopoly and the only provider of the solution. Um, there's going to be competition. You want competition. I think competition drives growth anyway, but this is something we, I, I don't know that I've worked for a company where I've not had to combat competitive risk um, and yeah. be very proactive in that. Um, state of the business, we talked about this. I think this M&A was always my biggest driver for this one, um, at least anywhere where I've worked. It, it's been the biggest issue. Um, but state of the business also, like I said, was a great placeholder for COVID as companies were kind of going under. Um, as we talk about like main category, subcategory, COVID could obviously be a sub of that, but thematically rolls into the state of the business. Bankruptcy has been one, obviously. Uh, you know, so there's, there's other elements of that. Um, so state of the business, I think makes a ton of sense. Uh, and I think when we get to the avoidable, unavoidable, expected, unexpected, that make a ton of sense how we've classified that also lack of value. This is, you know, I go back to lack of perceived value here. So, right. So what is the customer's perception of what we've been able to do? And this goes back to customer success. I think specifically, right. We can also assign, um, I think, functional ownership of each of these lack of value is like, as far as I'm concerned through and through and through customer success, like we own that. Yeah. If the customer is not seeing the value, it's because we've not done a great job of understanding how they were defining that and then helping map that map the product to that outcome. Yeah. So lack of value, I think is all encompassing, right? But it's the perception the customer has of the solution you've provided. Yeah. We, we um, talk about it sometimes in terms of just business outcome. Um, that they're trying to achieve. And so a couple of the things that, or one of the things that I put under there and you, you listed it here, but we um, word it in a little bit different way, but we talk about it as total cost of ownership as well. And we actually put that underneath kind of our business outcome or lack of value, because um, I think sometimes we take for granted, you know, that things might take too much time for them. It might take too many resources. It might take, there's, there's other things than monetary also uh, back to your first original point about price that I think sometimes people don't always consider, which is, Hey, you know, we, they have projects they need to work on internally. Um, and it, you know, if they're doing that, then that's taking away resources. If they, you know, need to do, if they need to have resources on our integration or implementation as we go through that cycle or with our product. So I think about uh, total cost of ownership has been kind of the, the lack of value, but definitely agree. Um, we've got kind of lack of revenue as well. Uh, member engagement, other things that just might fall underneath that kind of lack of value. Um, you mentioned kind of access to leadership. We talk about relationship a lot. And so 
three, three things we think about are uh, contract changes, stakeholder change, or even service performance, um, as well as part of that um, kind of access to leadership or relationship type category. And it also kind of bleeds into poor experience, you know, the service performance for us, um, like I think, and I'm imagining poor experience for you kind of equates to the, are we, are we checking the right, just base boxes, right? Like, are we just hitting the, the, the core things that we need to do in order to have that right experience? Like, are we having the right touch points with CSMs? Are they getting support uh, at the right times? Did we give them a great implementation and, you know, that was quick and easy for them to get through. So um, I like those two a lot. Talk to me about need. How do you think about need in that churn category? So it's interesting, right? Because churn to me doesn't always mean logo churn, like you've lost the customer altogether, right? Yep. So churn could be contraction, right? So moving backwards in a, in, in a revenue capacity to any extent. So for me, need at, at two companies I've worked at, my most current one and then one previously, it was based off of a licensing model, right? So, but it was based off of like end users. So where I am today, it's we track assets. So any organization that has assets on the road, so we'll say like part of their fleet. Um, but if they sell off those assets for whatever reason, right, they no longer have a need to track that asset. We can't charge them, right? In good in good faith, we can't charge them for an asset they don't own, yeah, right? Yeah. So there, and I guess that could be state of the business, but this really comes down to need because when we try to classify it a bit more specifically. Um, at a previous company, it was a licensing based on the fact that we sold the software based on number of email addresses because it was like SaaS apps management. Um, but if you laid off a hundred people in your organization, again, how can we charge you for emails that are no longer being part of that, that economic model? So yeah. need in the two instances, as I'm describing, it really came down to like real business need. Um, but I've also worked in a place where like they've killed off an entire department that yeah. used my software. And as a business, they decided this was no longer a priority. So that, again, they didn't need the software because they eliminated the function that used the technology. So, you know, need could be a whole bunch of things. And I think in every industry, it's going to look and feel a little differently, but in the three examples I provided need was definitely the way to classify it in the three examples I provided. Yeah. Um, no, that definitely, uh, hits home for me. It's kind of funny. We're both having dog problems right now. My dog is, <laughs> is doing well, Charlie's abandoned me. So now she's off, uh, exploring, yeah, which my dog, could, could result in a hug and a cuddle. He was just chewing something he wasn't supposed to, uh, it's just what you get during, you know, live sessions. But, um, yeah, the need part makes sense to me, especially the way you described it. Right. Like, um, because you can also look at it. I also sometimes look at it in the reverse, right. Which is sometimes the churn reason like need for me is also a way that we can actually provide additional value. So if you think about it in the reverse, right, that they're going to go acquire more assets or maybe that they're going to expand. Cool. How can I start preparing them for that too? Hey, here are how other customers are starting to, uh, that we've worked with have started to think about, you know, expansion strategies and here's, you know, how they start thinking about, um, kind of the time frame, maybe that they're going to, they're going to bring these new assets on board with our, you know, with our system and our tools and how they would roll it out to new employees or whatever it might be. But I also think, Sometimes I like to think about that when we start thinking about churn reasons as well, because I also think those are great things to try and help prepare for is um, kind of the reverse that happens. Like it's a good, good way to um, reinforce, you know, the value of the product and what you're doing. So um, need makes sense. No ownership. I'm imagining that's kind of more um, internal or again, kind of internally at the stakeholder uh, level. It's, you know, you have a champion and, and maybe they're no longer a champion or they're they're not really being the champion that you need internally to go drive the right change across, you know, multiple parts of the organization or they're, uh, you know, not getting the right budget that they might need in terms of, or the right discussions, you know, to have the right budget, but no ownership, I imagine relates back to 
the lack of a kind of a champion on their side. Yeah. And I think it also falls under, yeah. I mean, to your point, right. It definitely is a relationship element, um, but you just have nobody to own the product. I've had people like, again, COVID is a great example of this, right? So many people were furloughed. If you have nobody who is driving the use of the technology anymore, you just have nobody internally that owns it. It's not lack of value. It's not necessarily state of the business, right? Like you just, there is still value in having a solution, but when you have no ownership and you're trying to work through a retention play or a growth strategy, like it's really difficult to do that because you have nobody to work with, right? Like nobody who wants to say, yeah. I'll take that on as my responsibility. So no ownership, again, probably less common, but definitely worth bucketing and classifying it that way. Because I think it's indicative of not necessarily the value you provide to an organization, but just where they are in their journey. Yeah. the And then the last but not least, I love customer fit. Cause I think this one is really hard, I think, for companies and teams to get behind is actually acknowledging when a customer might not be a good fit. I think we, customer success talks about it all the time, right? Like, oh my gosh, sales sold a bad deal. And like, or, uh, you know, really marketing to the right people. Like that's the cliche that, you know, people love to throw around. But I think like by in general, um, and I've more and more, you know, I, I keep subscribing to this, which is like, there has to be a core, a core user, core account, profile that we're going after so that we all can start working and operating in the same way, right? That's how we, that's how we need to go build the right service models and how we start thinking about how we're building success teams and how we're scaling and whatnot. And so we also need to acknowledge when, when stuff fits outside of that. Um, and I think one having, one having it here kind of on, you know, churn list, but I think also just rallying your teams earlier on, uh, around that as well. So like your implementation leaders, right? How do you get them involved in the sales cycle to make sure we can identify these deals before they come across the line and that we can call them out and that we can mitigate any risk. Um, so I appreciate that, that customer fit one. Cause I think kind of ideal client profile becomes a big or ideal customer profile becomes a big, um, a big part. Yeah. I would say that one's probably near and dear to most folks in customer success, especially I think in earlier stage organizations where they're trying to find out who they are and who their customers should be. Um, and so, right. Uh, it's not uncommon for sales to sell because they can and, yeah. You know, in some cases that's okay. And like, maybe that's how a company is going to start to get off the ground. You need customers. I get it. Um, but at some point you've got to be very methodical about that and understand that if it's that, if that's a contributing factor, you've got to be proactive in mitigating that risk up, up upstream. So with these churn reasons that you have here, are these captured? These are captured. I mean, actually two questions. One, um, where do you capture them? And then two would be, um, at what stage do you capture them? Is it after the churn's already lost or do you also look at even pre-acknowledging or putting in like pre-risk indicators that say this might be a potential churn reason for this customer? Let's kind of talk about those two things. And I think that might answer Camille's question who um, asked us in the LinkedIn chat. All right. Awesome. So yes, first, uh, there are two stages where we use this list. So definitely, obviously, when a customer has expressed their intention to leave, um, we indicate that and that is Salesforce. So that captures it on the opportunity record. So if it's a renewal op or even like an upsell renewal op, um, we will indicate a close lost reason category is how we we flag that. And then we have closed loss reason details. We don't do subcategories right now. I feel like you can almost get lost in the minutia by having subcategories and categories that, you know, so we keep yep. it high level. It's one of the 10 buckets. Um, 
I lied. We do have an 11th called other. So if whatever the reason is, does not fall into one of these 10, which is very rare, um, we have an other bucket. And so then we have details. So that's captured again, when we know the intention to not continue the partnership. Now upstream in Gainsight, we have a risk module that we built out on our customer 360 view, which is basically your, your customer lens. And there, once we identify that a customer is at risk, which happens at any point in the journey, right? A customer can go at risk. We use these same 10 classifications to also flag why, because we do hold a, um, every, every week we have a risk meeting. Every other week it happens for our two core segments of enterprise and strategic accounts. Um, We use Gamesight to report out on that. So we will show number of customers in that segment that are at risk. And then we'll show kind of a bar graph of a, by what category. Um, and we do have all of our cross-functional stakeholders. So we've got representation from product, our leadership team, finance, um, you know, uh, sales. So that way everyone's on the same page and hearing the narrative behind the risk, but we keep the the tracking the same, right? So it's very thematic. Yeah. So we can actually say like, great, here we're, here's risk categorization that we saw upstream and we were able to mitigate it. Great. And here's how we did that um, versus, you know, when we found out too late and this is what happened, were we able to turn around? Right. So we're also trying to figure out time in risk, how long in advance, what can we do? What can we not do? Right. So there's a lot of learning that happens with this. But I think the biggest thing is capture it somewhere, capture it some state in the journey and then socialize it. Um, I will say the most important thing to do is not keep this to yourself. Everyone in the organization should be accountable for this. Right. Like I always say, you know, customer success is accountable for retention and churn, but we're not responsible for retention and churn to some extent, right? Like if it's the product, that's an issue. If it's, you know, the state of the business, if it was a poor experience because your invoices were incorrect every time, those are things that can be a bit challenging, right? And for customer success, it's frustrating when, especially the organization is rallied around the fact that you are accountable and responsible. So I think this helps keep everyone on the same page. Everyone's accountable. Everyone's responsible. This is a metric we all have to own. Um, And I think it it does a great job of telling that story and getting people's buy-in to understanding what's happening. Yeah. I, um, uh, I am bought into that whole fact too. And the, the part that I think even more so outside of just churn reasons, right? The more you start thinking about customer success, really, at the end of the day, when you get into your reporting and some of the, like the, what's happening with the outcomes, like uh, in our departments, right? Like everything should be cross-functional as you start like NPS surveys that we're looking at, uh, churn reasons, uh, retention analysis, like all these things really should be socialized so much that it's not a surprise around the organization. Like sometimes I think, you know, when you talk to some customer success teams or leaders, there's this stance of, you know, oh, we're here and we can't really do anything about it. Um, and then really the first question that I always used to ask when we were in our consulting days was like, okay, well, who have you talked to about this and how have you rallied the teams around it? Right. And the first step is always like, let them see the same level of information that you're looking at. Like they need to be able to see this, understand the story, understand like how this is happening so that they can also come to the table with potential solutions. Like it's not just on your plate, but I think socializing it in a way and kind of democratizing data is like the big way that um, you can start having the right conversations around the organization, you know, to your point, because again, not all these things can be solved by customer success, but we can facilitate the right conversations by bringing the data to to the table to say, Hey, did you know that, you know, access to leadership is, you know, one of the biggest reasons we have churn. And that's because in the sales cycle, we feel like we're not identifying the right people or getting the right access and that handoff, right? There's a great way for us to go drive a cross-functional initiative there. That's one example that I made up but one that seems to happen a lot. 
So um, I like your point. Like I think more, more people need to understand how data can go help you around the organization, rally the teams in the right direction and getting the right conversation started um, and something that we're working on right now too. Yeah. And I think it's, listen, it's important to also socialize the intention behind categorization and how you use the data. It's easy for folks to get defensive. And I will say that's probably been always my biggest challenge working with cross-functional teams is like people take this personal and it's as they should, right? Like if I designed a product and somebody comes in and tells me my baby's ugly, it's, it's hurtful. It's hard to hear. So I think there's also how you deliver it and making sure that everyone understands the intention behind it. The intention is never to place blame. It's to figure out what do you do to get better? And I think as you work to start to, you know, include these motions in your general practice in your day to day, getting people to understand that is going to be important because there's just no room for egos in order to be successful here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that too. Matt, Matt Muskowski, uh, just wrote in here. He's working, he's doing loads of work on this right now and, and discuss next week. Um, so we might have to have Matt on next week. Maybe we'll have a guest, you know, guest, guest star with us, but he asked, do you measure account saves? Um, So we we look at accounts that were at risk at some point in the journey that are no longer at risk. Um, When it comes down to the actual renewal itself, we're not using that as much. We don't have a barometer that we're really using around that. I mean, I think the retention speaks for itself, but we always do indicate if something was at risk, um, especially if it was competitive or product or like there's some themes that we dig into a bit more where if we were able to turn around, we want to hear the story of how we, how we did that and what we did, because that's usually a good lesson learned. Yeah. Um, Yep. The one thing that comes to mind for me too, on that piece is, um, is also looking at, we, we do some activities before like the renewal period starts, so to speak. So we also look at like, have the, have those activities um, impacted the renewal as well. So for instance, like we started to test a program that we're calling value training where um, for customers, what we're trying to do is make sure from an education and training perspective that they feel like they can be successful on our platform. So after we'll say the first six months, we have a reach out that says, Hey, you know, wanted to reach out, make sure that you um, are feeling that you're getting the right support from an education and training perspective to like be successful on the platform or the things that you need to know more. Um, and so that's not happening for every customer that's happening based on like where your renewal date is and how we can have a good interaction kind of leading into that renewal cycle. And so we're, we're starting to track a couple of things like that to say, Hey, if we actually have that extra touch point that we can automate and in some fashions, we can automate it. Um, and it's really more around kind of education and, pro- and our training. Um, are we noticing a higher renewal rate for customers who have that type of experience versus others? Yeah. We're just doing a test case right now, but um, it's been interesting so far. I think the early findings for us is that um, something that you would probably already jump to, uh, I imagine your mind is one is we're identifying that we need to go back and reinforce throughout the initial implementation and onboarding cycle that they're in the right trainings that they're doing them and that we're actually driving um, some completion there. Like that's one thing that we're noticing because a lot of the things that they're asking for, we're noticing that they could be getting in, you know, some of the, in the initial trainings. But the second thing I think is that we're noticing that our customers really enjoy that touch point because they're starting to understand that we're trying to put time and value back into them um, outside of just our CS team or somebody who an account management team who might be reaching out to them regularly. So um, they're kind of seeing this as an additional touch point, which uh, I think they've enjoyed too. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I think 
all of those motions will only help us get better, get ahead of things. And I think that's a big thing. Um, I think the reason why even organizations should be doing this is just to learn and to, you know, address what they can. And that's where, you know, I know that we're at time, but where the quadrant came from, right? Because yeah. as you're trying to tackle these things, it's important to understand, you know, what are the avoidable and unavoidable elements of churn and making sure that if you could do something about it, you are. Yeah. So I'm going to, um, it's perfect because we can set up the quadrants for next week. And then Matt Muskowski said he's in to come on. Uh, so we can Yay, bring Matt. Matt on and we can get uh, his perspective on what he's doing. And then we can talk through the quadrants and uh, incorporate a new voice into uh, into this. So I think it'll be fun. But um, Christy, loving the content. I think it's a good, a fun session just to talk through and uh, make sure people kind of understood what you're putting out. So um, excited to do this again next week and see, see your dog again too. <laughs> Awesome. All right, Jeff. Thanks so much. Talk next week. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.